What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the North Egypt's podcast, episode 130. I've been doing reads for a while now. Wow. <laughs> Actually, came up on my uh, memory through the day of it was uh, sep- like early September when we were doing our first one at your house. It was oh, like was me, it, you, yeah. and Gabe, yeah, picture was, of us. Yeah. That was pre the academy, wasn't it? That was like yeah, just yeah. the embryonic stages of the. Uh, so we got Professor Mike. What's up, Ben Bond? You've been on the podcast a few times, Ben. I have, yeah. Uh, so if you don't know who Ben is, you can go back and see Ben, Ben's story. Uh, and today we're going to talk a little bit about stuff that's coming up in the academy. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a lot of questions coming on Instagram, which some of them are pretty interesting. And uh, and Ben, you're now a master of psychology, is it? <laughs> is that your official title? <laughs> there is there isn't an official title at the moment, but I guess you could say psychological researcher or something like that, okay, or, cool. and and or sort of entry level clinician. You can give us some some, yeah. some insights on the on things going on. Yeah. Anything you want to start with, Mike? Um. I think it's worth just reflecting. If we go straight to that point about what's coming up new, I think we're working really hard behind the scenes as a team. You know, we've grown to over 500 students consistently every month now, which was a marker that we'd set for ourselves probably last year. Like, can we get to 500 and can we sustain it? And we've done that now, which is remarkable. You know, there's not many academies of this scale in the UK, which is great. And then, you know, add to that the fact that we're still like Academy Champions at Empire, we're still competing really well. It's, it's really, it's remarkable. But I think with any business, it feels like our business is a teenager and it feels like we need to mature and we need to go to that next level of professionalism and and infrastructure, which can support us continuing to grow to 750 or wherever we end up, which is is kind of our aim, right? We want to be the best academy in the world. Um, So... We're doing loads of stuff behind the scenes. We're investing a lot. We've got an external um, professional coach who's a friend of mine. He's he's contracted into us for six months to help upskill the team. The first session we went on away day, out the business, spent some time together, did all our values, our mission statement, which was phenomenal. We should share that, actually. Um, Maybe we could put a link to it in the podcast. And then we're back in at the end of this month to set some goals, 10, 5, 3, 1 year, 90-day goals. And I suppose the reason I'm saying it is like, I want everyone who's listened to this, who is a member of our academy, I know you're proud to be a member of GBRL. Just know that like, we've not even got going yet. This is, we're two and a half years in. You know, we haven't even got going. You know, this is, most businesses fail in that time. And we're continuing to grow and continue to improve. I just want everyone to know that that work is ongoing. We're putting money back in the business. You're going to see more improvements in the academy, more classes, more coaches. Got our own coaching pathway coming through, which is fantastic. Just trying to professionalize and be, um, you know, we set ourselves this, there's a word we use probably too much in our meetings now, which is world-class. You know, and that's subjective, but I think that's where I want us to be. I want us to be renowned to be, okay, their kids' program's world-class. Their competition team, maybe not world-level, but, you know, they're very, very good. Um, and so, yeah, what's going on, man? Maybe we should start with the um, like that coaching pathway since it'll go out 
just before this podcast goes out, probably. Yep. Uh, so <clears throat> we've invited uh, interest from the membership base of people that might want to come in and start doing their coaching journey. We had a few people, and there's lots of different ways you can do this. You can be uh, just an assistant kids coach, which was something we've already run, but it's going to become more formalized. Then you've got a lead kid coach, so you could take on what me and Kev already do, which is you know, lead those classes. Then you've got assistant adult coaches, which we don't really have an assistant adult coach. Well, I guess you could say that Frosty and Kev kind of play that role for each other when they're not leading, like an assistant. And then lead kid, uh, lead adult coach, and then a lead coach plus, which would be you're pretty much here in charge of the academy for a little while. The key holder, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you've got a, got a fair bit of responsibility there. <clears throat> what do you think is like the main benefits for going down any of those pathways? Well, I think there's a scale. So I think, it, you know, on one end of the scale, you've got people who just want to give back to the community. So by participating as an assistant coach in the kids' program, assistant coach in the adult program is slightly different insofar as we see that as a pathway to becoming a lead coach. You can't just sit there as an assistant coach as a blue belt and get paid for it. Um, but as an assistant coach for the kids, you absolutely can and you get discount on your membership. And it's a way that you can give back to others, share jujitsu and improve your own ability to develop others, which is fantastic, right? The other end of the scale, you've got people who are like in the future thinking, I wouldn't mind running my own school. And so getting into that coaching pathway early and building up that, you know, that experience base of teaching all different levels is crucial for you to be able to hit the ground running with your business and what we are going to do as part of that pathway is ensure that for those people who come in at this end of the scale you get a great discount on your membership really valued you get coaches night out every quarter we take you out buy your pizza we, we hang out on this end of the spectrum if you're an aspiring school owner there's going to be times when you can come sit down with me and t we can talk about how the business runs introduce you to gracie baja uk maybe find a territory for you maybe support you financially in the future if that's what we decide to do as a business so I think there's lots of reasons that people will want to get into coaching. Um, but more than anything else, it's a chance to give back. And that's what we should all be doing. Absolutely. Alongside that, there's going to be a pathway for the juniors and teens. So I was writing out their agreement last night. So that's become more formalised. And we get not back to, because, you know, we... we uh, we did a couple, like you did, Ben did a, a talk for the, the Jews and Teens a while back. That went yeah, well, did it? Yeah, it was about, it was about uh, over a year ago now, actually. It's kind of what was that talk on again? We just did, Mike and I just helped them with some goal setting yeah. and um, thinking about their future. Yeah. That was part of the, more, I guess, more specific developmental pathway that you had running at the time. Is, is that the kind of thing that you're... Well, I think we now? agreed that there'll be four events for them a year. It might be seminar type talk. It might be um, exclusive kind of live training session type thing for them, a little seminar type thing. It could be an event out or something. But there'll be four things that we put on them for a year. A, awesome. a year. And then there'll be other benefits for them, um, awards for those uh, junior leaders who are performing really well, really consistent, putting lots of effort in. They'll get rewarded accordingly. So loads of stuff there. And I know that we've had actually a lot of interest lately because a lot of those juniors are doing their Duke of Edinburgh. Yeah. Mm. And you need to do a certain amount of volunteering hours, I believe, for it. And right. you need to have a business kind of sign off on that. So there's loads of great things that's going to 
build the the foundational base, I think, because every every time we talk about improving the academy, it comes down to we're going to need another, more coaches yeah. to to do that, which frees up either time in in the timetable or time for other people to go out and do more more stuff. It sounds like a really easy thing. It's like okay, just put some more classes on and just get some more coaches to coach. It's not easy, you know. Every time, if it's not T or myself, although there still is a cost to that in terms of time. Like it costs money. So if we put another class on, and it's a it's a black belt instructor, it's it's eighteen pound an hour. You know that's a lot. You know then you got live train after that's thirty six quid before you've even blinked. You've got no new members coming in. That's just added value, right? So I think we're always coming back to that. We need more coaches, but we have to do this in a really um, careful and measured way to ensure that we don't overstretch ourselves, overpromise, and then underdeliver. I wouldn't want to do that. I'd rather exceed everyone's expectations every week than say, yeah, we've got classes every morning, every lunchtime, time, and then the shit. Do yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we were talking about that a little bit yesterday, and we can't have too many coaches on the pathway, like in the process of the pathway at any one time, because they all need a certain amount of support. So <clears throat> I think we started having like four people yeah. aspiring to be like that lead role, at least initially, is a good balance between. Uh, adding more to the schedule and, and things that we need, but also being able to support them enough to make sure that what they're delivering is world-class, right? Yeah, so we're gonna, there's going to be some change. Obviously, Professor Odisa has had to go back to the States for a little while. We hope he comes back. Um, Professor Khalil may be moving on early next year to maybe start his own academy, which is really exciting. I'm really, really pleased and proud of him for that. Um, so we, there are going to be opportunities. I think... We've got to be really careful that we get the right people and they're in it for the right reasons and we can maintain that level of experience for everyone who comes in, whether you're getting taught by a blue belt or myself or T, you should have a fantastic experience which should be world-class. Now, in order to do that, what we recognised was the Gracie Baja pathway as it stands, the ICP, Instructor Certification Process, is good but it isn't adequate enough for our standards and that's not a slight on Gracie Baja but we're we're proud to do things differently we're proud to push the boundaries and so in addition to the ICP process it's not to you know supersede it you will do the ICP we will pay for you to do that but you will also be on this pathway whereby you have to do a certain number of classes as an assistant a certain number of classes as a supported lead and then a certain number of classes as a lead in order to kind of graduate from that program. Um, so we're just making sure that we're just putting the building blocks in place, that this is something that, you know, can run forever and he's super professional. I'm proud of it, man, already. Awesome. Good. Is there any other kind of academy stuff we wanna go over before we get into some of these questions? I think just to, <laughs> just to say to people, you can expect early next year for us to be putting on more classes. We're already talking about that. We, our aspiration to everyone is completely clear and aligned with us, that we'd like to be able to offer a class every morning of the week, um, Monday to Saturday, every lunchtime, and every evening. We'd also like to, at some point, offer classes seven days a week. So, you know, we've got a phenomenal schedule. Like, we have to keep reminding people this. Like, go and have a look at every other academy their schedule, right? Ben can talk about his academy in a second, but like, have a, have a look. No one's got the schedule we've got already, but 
we want to do even more. And, you know, one day we're going to have two classes at lunch, two classes in the morning, GB2, GB1, GB3, GB1. It's going to be phenomenal then. But we have to do it in stages. We can't just launch it all in one go. So, yeah, you can expect that early next year. So loads of cool stuff going on in the academy. One of the questions we had come through from uh, from Lewis Hall. <clears throat> when looking up triangles, I often get cramp in my calf muscle, which is then sore for a few days. Advice? Now, I, I saw these earlier, so I've already had to think, but you guys can have a think. I, I've, you know, I'm no cramp expert or something, but like <laughs> you could be in something to do with your diet. I find the only thing that I found, sometimes if you lock your triangle a little shallow, your calf muscle can be on like the back of the head. You almost like calf slicer yourself and it can be quite painful on your calf. If It might be that, in which case you just need to work out those triangle mechanics a little better. Uh, but that was my only real thought on like cramping up during a triangle. I think, I think diet cramps in the feet and in the lower legs happen a lot in jiu-jitsu. Mm, yeah. You need to make sure you're stretching yeah. before and after class. You need to mobilize in. You need to make sure you've got plenty of sodium in your diet. You sweat a lot doing jiu-jitsu, right? Like it pours off you with a rash guard on. You have to replace that. So we have like OTE hydro tabs there, which you can buy. I know Ben Griffiths buys them, I use them. And they just, if you put them in your water bottle, they're gonna top you up as you sweat, which is fantastic. On the triangle itself specifically, now you and I do a triangle different. So I think you get cramp when you point your toes. When you point your toes, you basically turn on the calf muscles, right? So if I was gonna do a calf raise, I'd stand up on my toes and you stress the muscle. That's when it's gonna cramp up. So for me, I like to pull the toes back. So I'm actually stretching my calf, which is less likely to cramp. If we do this, I can feel it already, we're gonna cramp the muscle up. <laughs> if we do this, then we're less likely. So not to say one's better than the other, but if you're struggling with the triangle, try to think about pulling your toes back and that might help. What do you think? I, I get, like you said, I get cramp in my calf a lot when I do jits. When I first start training again, if I haven't trained for a little while, and I think all it is, <clears throat> is one, it's just getting used to the position. Yeah. And two, it's, is, as you said, it's hydration. That's, that's just both water and electrolytes. And then it's um, also just conditioning the muscles by stretching them and making sure they're in the right, um, sort of mode or position for you to be executing these movements properly. And I think in jujitsu, sometimes you just got to eat a bit of cramp. You know, it's one of those things because you do, so as you said, you sweat loads. You, I mean, I literally don't think I could replenish the amount of fluid that I lose during a, a sparring session or if we do class and then sparring, I probably end up losing something like, I don't know, maybe two liters of of fluid during that whole period. If I even if, if I weigh myself, you know that's two kilos effectively, um, and I will lose about a kilo and a half during a during a training session sometimes. So I think you, sometimes you just have to if you lock it up and you get it on somebody, and and you know that they would if you were to really sink it, they would tap. But you start feeling that cramp, you just got to accept it and move on and go to another position and work on something else. Yeah. So yeah, replenishing fluids is super important, but getting your electrolytes, your sodium, your potassium, magnesium back in is massively yeah. key as well, right? Time. Okay, another question from Soaps. If you could say one book that had a significant impact on your life, what would it be? I'll let you guys go first. 
It's a big question, isn't it? Yeah. Massive question. Interesting. We've got next the next 45 community um, on our app. We have a book club in there. And quite yeah. a few of our members are, are members of the next 45 community as well. And um, there's some been phenomenal books in there that I wasn't even aware of. Um, I suppose for me, there's been there, there's been quite a few. I would say Second Mountain by David Brooks. I mean, that really, like when you read, sometimes you read a book and it feels like the author's written what is in your mind. It's like they're talking to you specifically. When I was reading that book, I was like, man, this is everything I've been thinking for the last two years in a book already. And so for anyone navigating midlife or looking ahead, and it's kind of what Next 45 was built upon, this idea of that we climb two mountains in life. The first one is all about success and, and happiness and money and power and status. And then you get to the summit of that first mountain. The view from it isn't the one you thought it might be. And you descend into a valley between the first and second mountain. That's the midlife crisis. Listen, if you're 25 and listen to this, you think it's not going to happen to you, you're going to feel differently at 40, I'm telling you. And then on the second mountain, you should be trying to find fulfillment. So not happiness. Fulfillment, joy, giving back to others, community, everything that we stand for here, right? So I think if I was going to recommend any book to anyone who is starting to think about what their next half of life might look like, The Second Mountain by David Brooks, I'd pick. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I, it's not really. I, I, I read. I like like you. I read a lot, so I don't know. I don't really can't really pinpoint it to one. But the thing that immediately comes into my mind at the moment, and perhaps it's something because I only finished reading it not long ago, is um, book you have listened to. I know is Musashi by Eiji Yoshikawa, mm. and I think that that is a great book because to not reveal too much about the book because it's a fantastic book. It's not a non-fiction book, it's a novel, um, albeit based on a lot of history that is true. Um, I think that book's great because it's it spells out everything that's good and bad about life and also sometimes, I think in that book you encounter every single type of person you could ever meet mm. in in life. And I think it's very interesting to almost, you almost get a, a perspective on, you get a, um, a sort of a bird's eye view on what people are like through the way that they develop the characters in that book. And the, the author, I think it's, it's unique again in that it's so long. It's about a thousand pages, which in normal sort of font would probably be more like one and a half thousand pages. It's like 50 hours so it's, yeah, it's a huge book. Um, and it's, as a consequence, it really gets to develop a story. And the ending of that book is, in its own way, the greatest ending of a book, I think, mm -hmm. that you will ever read. Um, but I like how the storyline is developed. I really like the characters that are there and how it makes you think about things that you perhaps do in your own life. And it's because obviously there's a to link it to what we all do, it's a lot of martial arts involvement in there. And there's, um, from where martial arts came from. And it makes you think, I think, a bit about um, perhaps how you act the mistakes you've made and how you can address them in the future and, and perhaps how uh, good ways to, to act as a person in the world more generally, I think. Nice, I like that. I don't yeah. want to reveal too much about the book. It's quite, kind of why I'm being a bit vague. It's a great book. And it's, uh, yeah. did you read it or did you listen I to it? I read it, yeah. yeah. 
I, I listened to it and uh, I can definitely recommend the Audible version. It's like the guy who narrates it yeah. is really good. He adds a lot of life to the characters. Yeah. I think to just actually <coughs> look more like one of Mike's, though, that immediately springs to mind is Legacy by James mm. Kerr. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've read yeah. it yet. Um, it's about the All Blacks. Great book. Great lessons. Um, Sweep the from, sheds. Sweep the, yeah. the vats. Yeah. Like you look after what you've yeah. got, man. You know what I mean? Mm. 100%. That's a great yeah. book. There's I, so many though, right? Yeah. Like there's so, so many. many. I'm just thinking there as Ben was talking. So many amazing books that I think of. I, interestingly, on the Next 45 community, a lot of guys are saying that they hadn't, haven't read since school. I think that's typical of, again, you're on the first mountain. You're mm. too busy to read, most people, apart from people like them. <laughs> um, we're a bit more well-rounded. But certainly I didn't read in my 20s at all. It's only in that transition period between my first and second half of life, my first and second mountain, that I've started to invest time in trying to understand the world a bit more. I'm reading a book, sorry T, just before you come on to yours, at the moment called The Untethered Soul. Have you heard oh, yeah. about that? Yeah, Don Ali uh, mentioned that. Yeah. Thing. I mean, it's quite deep and quite challenging, I find, to read. It's kind of like Buddhist kind of mm. um, self and centeredness and consciousness. And But I think that's something I could do a lot better. And I, and I don't mind sharing this, but um, I was chatting to Johnny yesterday. I've had my blood work done and my testosterone again. My testosterone's back to normal now. It was like a third of what it should be. Um, with some treatment that I've had, but yet I don't feel any different. And that is, as my consultant quite rightly pointed out, as a result of the life I'm living. So the high stress, busy, and I need to be better at just being self, just letting it just wash over us. Mm -hmm. Instead of worrying about, well, what's going to happen here? What about this? What next? Just, just chill. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good book. I'm struggling to get through it, but it's uh, it's helping. I Some think. books are like that, though, aren't they? You really get into. I was like that with, when I read the Gulag Archipelago. It's one of those books where you just kind of, or that that book as well. You just, yeah. yeah, you just get into it, and it's like, wow, this is this is a lot, you know. Tell you what's your favorite books, but have you guys read Harry Potter? Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I'm actually not joking. Like, um, so it's not even my favorite book series, uh, but. For the nature of the question, it's the one that just came to mind, like a significant impact. Mm. So I listened to those books when I was feeling like a time in my life when I was feeling really down. I was going through a bit of a difficult thing. And every morning I'd get up just like 6 a.m. and go for a walk and I'd listen to uh, Stephen Fry read the Harry Potter books. Good, good and guy to read it. It was just a nice escape. Like it had a, it was, took my mind off of everything that was going on. And I got out into nature. I was walking through the woods, listened to, a fantasy world and I just escaped from uh, like being in my own head too much so in terms of books that had a significant impact you know there's definitely ones that have influ influenced my philosophy or gave me a different perspective on life but those are the ones that came to mind really so I think that's it. that's the power of yeah. um, fiction right like it can it's an escape I listened to To Kill a Mockingbird on the boat when I was rowing mm. and that was really cool because the person who narrated it had a really deep southern American accent and it well, felt yeah, really yeah. real like mm. Um, and that was really lovely to escape. And then also like just stuff like um, the Satsuma Complex by Bob Mortimer, you know, like just a bit of humor, mm. just something a bit different, yeah. just to take your mind off it. And that's important. On a segue from Harry Potter, mm. if I may. Yeah, or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, different vein, again from Soaps. What submission are you most likely to get successfully on each other? Now, I'll go first. I don't think I regularly have submitted you ever, really. So uh, it's hard to uh, it's hard to say one. Um, 
I think if you just change the question a little bit, I think the, the submission I get, or at least I look for most regularly, would be that side triangle, kind of that, that position. And then there's a, there's a few different submissions from that position, but it's something from that position is where I get majority of my submissions, I'd say. Or if I'm being a dick from some other taps from Matt. <laughs> uh, but I think on the flip side, I think you generally catch me mostly in triangles and armbars. Yeah, but I mean, that's just because we've been doing in yeah. GB3, right? So yeah. I was, that was, was going to be my point. I think if you're doing the same submission, there was a guy I used to train with back at the old Gracie Bar around, uh, Gracie Bar Leeds. He only did triangles and he did them from white belt to black belt. And he was like world-class at triangles. That's all he did and it was boring. Triangles and he kimura every now and again. It was just boring. So I think you should be changing the submissions that you're doing depending on what you're working on, right? So at the moment, I'm working really hard with our GB3 lot to give them drills in the warm-up in GB3 that they can improve their close guard. The arm bars, the triangles, the maplatas, sweeps from there, arm drags to the back, loads of options. So they've got hundreds of techniques from close guard. And I'm trying to practice what I preach. So when I'm training, that's the stuff I'm trying to hit. Um, to kind of sharpen my own understanding of it. Well, you Ben, what, what, what's your... I've only ever submitted you out of you two, so I can't. <laughs> I can't. I think I've only ever submitted you with arm bars as well. I think that's probably my best submission, really. An arm bar from, from Have either... Have you taught me with a footlock before? Probably straight. Maybe a straight yeah. footlock. Maybe, um, but arm bar from uh, guard or from mount. My two fave, they're my favorite submissions. Yeah, I like an S mount. Yeah, I really like S mount. I mean, I think when where I train in London, a lot of um, a lot of Jude's submissions come from S mount as well because that's a it was a big. You know, he was trained by his his professor was Mauricio Gomez. You know, those guys were neon belly mount kings. So. Um, a lot of the stuff that we do comes from those positions or from it's it's rarer for um us to train even train submissions other than triangles from the guard because jude's jude's specialty in comps from my understanding of the guys who would you know were around him a lot when he was competing with, with pri if he was going to submit someone from the guard he would submit them with a triangle yeah so those kind of those three probably those three submissions s mount armbar um, armbar from, from the guard and, and triangle are my favourite. I think favorite. like just going back to the point of like it should change you should yeah. say this to the DIs in GB3 on Tuesday yesterday like you should have a plan you should have some kind of meta goals to say okay the next and then you can write this on the back of your attendance card in the next year I'd like to be able to do this or I want to be doing this and then you've got to break that down so you can say okay well the next three months the next 90 days like what is it I'm focusing on and then this week, what is the thing I'm going to try and do? And it can be as simple as I'm going to start every live roll from bottom position or top position. Do you know what I mean? Or I'm going to try and find my way to side control on top. And then I'm going to try and submit from there. Or I'm going to try and take the back from there. Like you've got to have a plan. If you don't come in with a plan, which I didn't do for years and still don't a lot, you are massively inhibiting your ability to progress. Um, because you just kind of go on with it. Mm. And to be honest, that's that's what I, I've done that for 20 odd years now, I'm not gonna change. But I think the people who can be a bit more systematic about the development, write it down, have a plan, are gonna be the ones who mm. progress the most. I think I definitely agree. I think that having focus to your training like is 
is really uh, will speed up your progression a lot. I think Gordon Ryan was talking about it recently. He was saying like coming up and training hard is the easy work. Like the mental work is the tough work. Like reflecting on how your role went and then improving what you did badly and then mm-hmm. going away and studying and doing all that kind of work. That's that's the hard work. Everyone can come in and and you know hit some hard rounds and feel great about it and then you go For on. some people that's okay, right? Like they're yeah. not we're not all Gordon Ryan. Yeah. I was gonna say it's like to me, like my where I am in my jiu-jitsu journey, I kind of just want to enjoy it. And I, I get a buzz from seeing others improve rather than myself. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I'd rather give to everyone else. Someone asked me yesterday, are you going to compete? I was like, probably not, because like all my energy is going into the school and into the students. Um, so I think it depends where you are on your journey as well mm-hmm. and what you want out what, of jiu What do you think about... So we're talking about more... Um, uh, submissions hit regularly, but what do you think about having a favourite submission? Because I, I, I tend to try and steer away from that now, almost on that Masashi vibe mm. of have a have no preference yeah, for yeah, any yeah. one particular weapon. Because it goes almost contrary to having a focus on a thing. Because you might, if you want to get good at triangles, you have to focus on triangles for a while. But at the same time, it may not be the right place to do a triangle. Like I think yeah. to that point, it's not about what I. When you really understand jiu-jitsu, it's not about what I want to happen. It's what's available right now, depending on what my opponent's done. Mm. And so when we start to have the action reaction, we create a movement here that is countered to that, and then we have another option, or that happens a few times. And then you take what's available, that is the most efficient way to do jujitsu. If we're like, I'm gonna get a triangle, it's not gonna work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would say, yeah, just just starting to see opportunities, even if you don't get them, even if you're like, Oh, there's a trap and it's too late. At least you've seen it. And then maybe next time you can control yeah. the posture better and get it. I think yeah. it depends what you like, what you want to do jujitsu for as well. Like if you want to do jujitsu and to win, you're going to end up with favorite submissions because they're things that mm. give you your favorite outcome. But if you are doing it to, to develop new skills, then I think to expand and to look at things that you can kind of hit in a broader sense and something that's there etc is is important and then to the point about having favorite submissions i think almost the favorite submissions that you will end up having are ones that are i think that it's what your opponent's offering you is offering you at the time but it's also what your body is capable of doing so i think that that if you for example if if you don't have very long legs and you're in the guard and you're you're someone's in your guard and perhaps they you know, put their arm down by the side and you think, hey, there's a triangle, let's go, then you might not actually have the leg length to finish a triangle on that opponent. So part of it is working out, I think, too, what is your body set up to best achieve if your goal for achievement is win for to, to hit a submission, you know? Mm-hmm. But if it's to your goal is to, to on that same point, if your goal is to just expand, then if you've got short legs and you want to try and hit a triangle, then it's trying to have, figure out how to hit a triangle yeah, with short legs. Exactly, legs. Yes. Like I've got some. exactly. Ah, but I've it's got how some. to figure it out rather than just being like, you know, there are guys who have, as you, we all know, who have sort of super lanky, mega long legs who can just hit triangles all day. Um, I said this to the GB3 guys, that's a good point, mate. Um, this last week, I think there's a, a missing interpretation just so that you need to have a thousand moves you don't need to have a thousand moves i think if you said 
and you can write this down on a spider diagram. You can write all the positions. So guard bottom, guard top, half guard top, half guard bottom. Each iteration. If you had three sweeps and three submissions from each position, or three ways to progress the position from a top position, that's all you ever need. Yeah. And that's not a lot, really, when you think about it. But that's a really nice base to start to build out. When you can do all three, maybe you're five, you know, in certain positions. I don't think I do more than, I don't know, 20 techniques on a regular basis. I don't think so. Mm. I think they just become part of what you do. But you don't need to have what a lot of people think you need to have, which is an encyclopedic knowledge of jiu-jitsu to be able to be good. And also, if you understand the concepts around how sweeps work, how reversals work, leverage, timing, all the deeper understandings of jiu-jitsu and just the human body mechanics, then you can do techniques that you don't even know exist. And we talked about that yesterday, right? Like just taking our partner's post away and then putting their center of mass into that space will invariably give you a sweep. If you know that, okay, hold his arm and move this way, he's going to fall over. That's it. That's a technique. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, you, you know that you spoke about the ecological approach the other, mm. the other week. I think that is the, the, the way of learning jujitsu is not, I never remember, here's where you put this hand. I think, I always think, okay, well, what are the core things? Okay, if I'm on, if I'm on bottom and I'm playing guard and I've so open guard, four points of contact. Yeah, nice. And that's it. That's all I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about right hand, you know, it's it's however the that configuration ends up working is 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 fine. And I think that is the thing that's taken my jujitsu much further. Um and same if somebody's if somebody's on your back, you know, the, the, the get get their arm over your head. Stop stop if they've got a seatbelt grip, get one of those arms over your head. Stop them having that grip. Nice. <clears throat> all right. Uh, again, from Soaps. <laughs> she just got her on the podcast. She, she works yeah. for his man, so yeah, she yeah, has to do these yeah, questions. Yeah. Uh, how did you know you'd be a good pairing to open an academy together? Do you want to go first? You, want me to go first? <coughs> you go first, mate. I don't think we did know. Like, no, we didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I asked to go first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we didn't know. Uh, it was just... Uh, it, was, it was a mix of things that were just... I didn't even know if I'd really be here for very long when, when, when you told me that you wanted to open the academy because at that time it was just like COVID will be over in a, f in a few months and I'm going to go back traveling again. So it, it almost just kind of built naturally where I was just, I was just here like a lot. <laughs> and then it was just like, okay, well, I guess it just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And then there was a certain point where I was like, I, oh, I ended up breaking up with a girl up about it. Um, because I just decided that this was where I wanted to take my life and not stay on that uh, traveling kind of thing. Uh, it's a bit more kind of altruistic for me. Like, I think there's a saying, like, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, right? Or with others. So I knew that if I wanted to build the kind of academy that I'd, uh, I knew could occur and could be in this space, because, you know, I'd, I'd traveled the world and trained in Canada for a year, trained in America, trained Australia, trained everywhere. And I'd seen a lot of academies and I knew there was the next level up. I'd seen glimpses of amazing academies. You know, you go to Henzo's in the, the Blue Basement, you go to Marcelo's, whatever. Some phenomenal places. But I knew there wasn't anything like that around here. I knew I couldn't do that on my own. It's the same in X45. Like, 
that business was registered for two years, but I didn't found it alone. I founded it with others. Um, so I think that's the thing. And then as, as we've progressed, for me, it's been more about seeing you develop and offering you an opportunity to live your life the way you want to live it. So I'm taking more of a backseat on the day-to-day -day running of the business and being looking at the business and not working in it, working on it, strategy, improvements, less classes. You know, obviously when we started, man, we taught every class. I don't know how we did it, mm. by the way. Trialists coming in, no one behind reception, <laughs> you and me teaching 20 kids or whatever. But now it's about how can I provide you and other people with the opportunity to run their own business and to, because that's where I get the most value. You know, I, I'm not here to make money. I'm here to do good. And so when you when that's your mindset, it's like, well, how many other people can I help? So for instance, I've just got your paperwork through today. So you now own 10% of the business, right? Like from five to 10%, that's huge. You own 10% of a thriving business and that will be more next year and the more the year after. That stuff makes me happy, giving it away. Yeah, I think on the on the question, I think I was I was quite confident in that. Just I knew that whilst we, I think a lot of times we don't agree on things, but we always come back to that. We've got the same values pretty much at the end of the day. So, like I'm, I know that whenever, whenever I have to like maybe push back on something or challenge on something or we disagree, it doesn't. Like it doesn't ever end up in a bad place because we know I know where your values are, I know where my values are, and they're pretty much ninety nine percent of the time super aligned. So it never it's just a case of all right, are we gonna go blue or red? And then it's just like I want to go red, you want to go blue? It's like does it really matter? <laughs> like kind of thing. So it's Purple. that gave me a lot of confidence, kind of thing. So yeah, I just think it's just good to do things with other people, man. I think you learn a lot. You know, I think you've, and you've got to find people who you might have the same values, but you might work in a different way. You're a lot more chill than me. Mm. That's benefit to our business. You know, you can't have two of me because it's just going to be frantic and chaotic and everyone's racing all the time. You need people just to be a bit more stable. Um, so no, it's, it wasn't a conscious decision other than the fact that I wanted to. And also at that point in your life, if I may say, like it wasn't the best place for you. Um, and I felt an urge to want to try and put my arm around you and, and give you an opportunity. Yeah. All right, last uh, last question from Soaps, and last question we've got, uh, and similar vein, what helped you believe that the Academy was going to be such a success in the early days? Oh, no, you didn't. We didn't know that. Yeah, I remember... No, we didn't. I didn't think anyone was going to turn up. Yeah, <laughs> when we just put the event out for on, on Facebook, being like... I was going to show up. <laughs> I remember walking down the stairs with yeah. the key in my hand, thinking, I hope there's someone outside. <laughs> and there was a queue of people outside. I think we said that, told that story before. None of us knew that it was going to be a success. And then, you know, I remember talking to Professor Victor, my professor, about his academy in Nottingham, and he had 387 members. And it was a huge academy. You're thinking, wow, 309 members. And you will never surpass that. And then you do. And then you're like, 400, 450, 500. It's like, shit, what could this actually be? So I don't think we ever knew it was going to be a success. I think we knew how passionate we were about it. I'd sacrificed a career to do it, a fantastic career. So there was a lot riding on getting it right. And that's why we put 100 hours a week in for the first God knows how long. And 
And then now, of course, we're at a place where it's slightly different, but none of us could have predicted that it would have been this successful. I mean, look at the other academies in Leeds, man. The, the, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, but the average Jiu-Jitsu academy is about 200 members. Like you've got about 70 or something. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, that's, that's the normal amount of students. To double that in two and a half years, no one could have foreseen that growth. I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think... Um... Yeah, I don't think we could see that success. You know, we we had like uh, every time we made a target, it would just kind of get blown blown away really really quickly. I think what gave what gave me an indication of that we could do it way better it goes back to what you said earlier about you'd been to Henzo's, you'd been to like all the other academies, and I'd kind of seen that too. And I'd, I'd looked around a little bit, being like, everyone's doing this so poorly. Like, yeah. not to stir shit, but like everyone, it seemed to me like everyone was doing this in because they just wanted to do jiu-jitsu with their mates and they wanted to find a way to make money from it. Like, that, but that's what yeah. jiu-jitsu was, mate, yeah. for like decades. That's what we did. That's what yeah. it was. And there was just like no really any good business practices, there was no really good marketing, there was no good, like, even just to the, the base, like a website or, everyone was doing it super old school. And I was like, this is very strange. <laughs> so it seemed, and I've always been quite keen on if someone else is doing something, like even to, in the Marines, when everyone else would just mug off their affairs folders, I was like, well, that's an easy way to show that I'm better than everyone else. So, like, it's going to be way harder to be a better runner than like, that, I that guy. I got the best affairs folder in Did my you say? Yeah. <laughs> So, like, it's going to be way harder than being a better runner than that guy. I'm never going to be able to do as many pull-ups as that guy, but everyone's rapping on their affairs folder, so that's where I can, like, be above. Same in jiu-jitsu. Like, okay, no one really works takedowns, all right? So I'm going to work takedowns so I can... So that's, like, a little way you can get a leg up. Same in this. It's like... Okay, no one's really doing a lot of this very well. They may be amazing jiu-jitsu practitioners. They may be amazing um, uh, coaches. Like, uh, you know, and to some extent, like for me personally, I wouldn't be able to compete on that level. But all the other stuff they do is lackluster. And that's, if you just put the work in, you can go way above it, I think. I think the one thing that's really made the difference is the fact that we haven't focused on jiu-jitsu as being the mm. thing. You know, we rarely talk about it being a jiu-jitsu academy. We talk about the community and, you know, jiu-jitsu being the tool we use to develop people. And I think we've positioned our uh, what we stand for in a very different space to many other martial arts academies who are like, come down, we'll teach you how to defend yourself. Come down, we'll teach you how to fight. We're like, come down and meet some new friends, you know, and become a better person of yourself. And, oh, by the way, the way we do that is grappling. So I think it's a very different way to see it. And that, that combined with just a kind of a perfect storm, really, of COVID, although that was really difficult for us at the beginning. You know, I remember sitting on there and recording a piece to camera for the people who signed up as founder members to tell them they couldn't come and train and they paid us the money. It's like, oh, shit. It was um, your big hair, wasn't it? Big hair, fat, yeah. yeah, all that stuff still fat, <laughs> but fatter. And, uh, but look, it, ultimately, it was COVID helped us because people came back together, wanted to be part of a community, wanted to be with others. And we provide, I think, the best place to do that. That's why I yeah. I, people, man. I remember the first class ever in here, the first 
and I remember the the feeling of I remember you were stood at the front and I could see it on your face. You were like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, because yeah. it was the first time we'd all anybody had come together in a group for for ages and the the energy was so good that day and i'll never forget that day because it was it was a special it was a special day you know it was quite an emotional day as well because you you haven't been with people for that long really had you and then we all were all in this room doing jujitsu and it was great Mm -hmm. um and then i remember a couple of there were a couple of occasions where i was driving you home and you'd say something like, man, we've got like 70 members. I wonder how long it'll be till we get 100. <laughs> I think, because I think when when the doors open and we start training, I think there were only something like 70 members, maybe so 60, something, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so th- there was, you were there going, ah, oh, man, 100 members, 200 members, God, that seems so far away. And then I think when I left in September, and that would, the academy had opened in April, I left in September, I think there were something like 150 members That's right, yeah. at that point. And then it just kept going. And now that's 400 members later. You know, that's yeah, that's pretty amazing. I would think really. if we had 150 members, we'd be like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we, wouldn't to, we wouldn't be able to do what we did. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that, and that, that, you know, the numbers of members allow us to build even better opportunities for people, right? That's yeah. the way we view it. We don't just, you know, cream money out of the business and go spend it. Like the money goes back in. You see, every time we close, there's a new part of the academy that's improved, new coaches, new um, classes. I think we've got this, to go back to my my very first point, this continuous drive to be world-class, whatever that means. To us, it means certain things. We've talked about it. We've articulated it, culture, values. That is where we're heading. And the other thing that really is the icing on the cake is because we had 70 founder members. Normally you'd get about 15 in the academy as like an industry standard. And we blew that out of the water. What I really love now is seeing the length of time that people remain. So we haven't still got all those 70. Many have gone, most of them are gone. Still a few of them around. And it's lovely to see people who've been training for two years, three years next year, our own homegrown purple belts brown belts, black belts, that the day we have a dozen black belts at the front of the class, that's the day yeah. that we've kind of reached the summit. Mm. I think that's a special day for anybody in a position, you know, like like you as well, who's knows that you brought those people through. Yeah, you've helped them on yeah. the journey. Yeah. yeah, I know that for there are, we have a lot of black belts in London and I know for Jude that Every time he gives one of those black belts, it's it's a you can see it's a very special moment for for him because it's not just the fact that you've taken somebody through that journey with jujitsu, but you've known that person perhaps for ten or in some cases like fifteen years maybe, and then they've you know you've seen how they how their life's gone. And you're advocating for them, aren't you? You yeah. know you're putting your name next to them. And you're saying, I'm prepared to stand next to this person. Mm-hmm. Very similar when you wear your green beret, right? Like if you get given a green lid and there's a guy stood next to you wearing one, th- there's an instant trust. It's like, okay, you've been through what I've been through. I know how difficult that is. I know what a legend you are because you've done it. And I know you'll do anything for me. I think if you hand a black belt out and it won't be long to you until you know you're a black belt, that, that recognition that you're putting your name next to that person for the rest of their life, is a big deal. 
I mean, that's why it means a lot to people. And that's why it's worth waiting for, because it has to be the right time, has to be the right person, right moment. And that's exciting, isn't it? Well, that takes us to about 50 minutes, so it's been a good podcast. I didn't need a wee either. Well, I did, but I didn't have you one. You held it. Discipline. I've, well, I've held most of it. Discipline. <laughs> 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 cramping my calves. <laughs> Self-warming system. Awesome. Well, Ben, thank you very much for thank coming you down. Thank uh, yeah, you for having me, It's always great to see you, mate. And uh, we'll definitely do a catch-up podcast with you at some point. Be great. And you have to come back more often. Yeah, well. Well, you have to do one when, we're, when you come down and visit me. You need to organise it. We'll do one with you and Jude or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely, oh, definitely. That'd be cool. He'd, yeah, he'd cool. like that. He said that he'd, he'd go on before. So yeah. I'd love to have him come do a seminar too. We'll have to speak to him about that. He's met, he do yeah, he does, yeah. He does. There, um, I think there was, some, there was some talk about doing one at Scramble at some time, so maybe yeah, a yeah, I'd love to link at the same time. Be good. He, I know that he's, he's keen to go anyway to do jiu-jitsu. So. Yeah. Happy days. Okay, until next time, guys. Oos. Gotta give a... Gotta get oos. Us. <laughs> <laughs> well done, guys.